Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Today on Around the Coin, I interviewed Arnab Naskar. He's the co-founder of Stoker, spelled S-T-O-K-R.io. Stoker raised about $5 million in funding, and they're the EU's pioneering digital marketplace for alternative assets, where smart investors connect and fund forward-thinking founders. Arnab oversees Stoker's business strategy and is dedicated to promoting open and decentralized capital markets. He's a regular speaker at major blockchain conferences and webinars in Europe. Coming from a legal background, Arnab has a passion for the intersection of law and tech and has led and contributed to blockchain policy discussions as a member and in association on advising lawmakers and regulators with regards to the blockchain strategies. So we talked a lot about the regulation, both in comparison of the US market and Europe, about Arnob's trajectory professionally, coming from the EU, living in Germany, moving to the US, and generally where we are in terms of the blockchain ecosystem from a regulatory standpoint and what trends are happening in funding and new company building, how companies are getting created and funded is changing dramatically. So I learned a lot about that and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Arnav Naskar. Well, either way, I'm excited to, to dive in with you today, uh, Arnav Naskar. Um, you started off your career, or at least part of it, in law. Uh, I'd love to learn how you made the transition from the legal side to where you are now running Stoker and everything involved in crypto. Walk, walk me through it. Give me the high level of your journey. Yeah, so actually I came uh, to crypto very interestingly uh, when I was playing uh, computer games. Uh, I was uh, playing much more at that point of time in my, I would say, legal educa education career. And I was using Bitcoin actually to buy some gaming equipments, right? Uh, it was at that point of time I used to convert Steam keys. Uh, many of you who now know Metaverse, you know that uh, there are some digital weird houses and buildings and those things. Uh, back in 2000, I would say 13, 12 or something like that time, you have keys in Steam account where if you play some uh, computer games or some things and uh, yeah. Counter-Strike is one of such games uh, where you can actually earn some keys. I used to convert those keys, convert to BTCs, and used to buy some gaming equipments. That's how I came into the BTC space. Over the period, uh, what happened is I got exposed to BTC during my professional journey when I was working in India as a lawyer. Then I moved to Germany. 
And at some point of time, I would say in 2016, I realized that the BTC is not just, you know, kind of a currency which you use to buy some stuffs when you don't have access to a Visa card or you don't have access to your credit card. It's much more than that, right? And there I went deep dive into it and uh, tried to understand, okay, what we can do that and what we can do with that. On one side, you have the payment industry that is, you know, what we saw the Bitcoin's massive uh, growth, uh, what we see the Lightning Network right now growing. You see the growth of liquid and other stuffs. But on the other side, there is also a huge opportunity for the capital markets to utilize the Bitcoin and uh, the benefits of what Bitcoin brings on the table. And that's made me much more intrigued. So back in 2017, I made a very conscious choice. And I was also lucky to have some of my co-founders whom I met accidentally and fortunately at that point of time. And we had the same vision and Stockholm was founded. Well, I want to parse this out a little bit. So you're playing video games, which I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone uh, quite so successful coming out of video games saying like <laughs> the the video game itself was uh, was really useful for me in my professional career. That's certainly something that people can take home with them. So you, you realize sort of the exchange opportunity between Bitcoin and the Steam cards. Then you were in Germany. Do you speak German as well? I can survive in a bar. That means I will get my drinks, I can get my food, but yes, not in a business conversation. I can uh, go forward with my German skill. And what, what, what brought you to Germany? Was it personal or did, was there something? Uh, it, it was actually, so I, I was uh, quite tired of my legal career. It was quite monotonous. It was quite, uh, I would say, dry to a certain extent. And then I realized, okay, I need some break for a few years. I want to do some um, I say higher education stuffs and that point of time I got a fellowship in Germany and that fellowship made me realize, okay, yeah, I can take one or two years off, do some, you know, some course outside, understand the European law. And I was very fascinated at that point of time about how European Union works. And it was at the time where the Brexit was kind of being discussed. So I was thinking, okay, if Brexit happens and the European Union falls apart, my entire degree will be useless. But nevertheless, I, I, I took that risk and came to Germany. I did my uh, masters. And that point of time, I realized, okay, I want to study more of it. And I went to my PhD, uh, which I dropped out uh, recently, because I realized I cannot juggle the two things at the same time. And I was not doing justice to my PhD thesis anyways. And that actually made me come to Germany. And uh, that also kind of, you know, I was in Hamburg, it was kind of uh, two hours from Berlin, I was in that city. And I was seeing a lot of interesting discussions around Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies happening in 2016, 17. But primarily, they were around the prices, so the Bitcoin pricing, how much the costs. There are discussion about the smart contracts. Remember, that was the time Ethereum was being sold uh, with a vision. They will create some EVM that will be a magical computer and those kind of things. So it was a very interesting moment. Uh, but for me, it was much more interesting to create a financial uh, market. And that was a time when the ICOs boom happened. People were trying to avoid all the securities law, issuing tokens from Switzerland Foundation and those things. And me and my partners, we realized, okay, there is a good opportunity. You can literally bring securities into a tokenized form. Why to avoid that? And that's where our ambition and aim uh, grew at that point of time. Mm. So how, how did you realize that this... Um how did you realize the specific entry into the market? So you, you certainly come at it from a, a legal understanding about how the different countries, I suppose, uh, categorize currencies or don't categorize currencies, whether they're securities, tokens, assets, 
however, however they're parsed, whatever words that are used, you, you come in with an understanding of that. Wh- how do you begin product market fit finding? W- what it, what's the first step? Do you research or do you call on people or are you designing software? What does it look like early on? I think the, the like my background is also coming from a bit of uh, corporate capital market side of law. And so I, I always... Uh, had some kind of touch with the venture investment, investment market and the capital markets in that sense. So from one side, I have some experience being a lawyer. On the other side, I was also trying to understand the investments, trying to understand, you know, the dynamics or nuances of an investment thesis. It I'm not coming from a financial market perspective, but much more from a legal perspective. And then on the other side, on the Bitcoin, when I got exposed to it, I tried to understand the money, the fundamental concept of money, the fundamental concept of unit of accounts, what does it mean by store of value and those kind of things. And it's kind of, you know, uh, I would say a match made in heaven, right? You have on one side, you have this idea of a new form of digital money. On the other side, you know, the fundamentally the capital markets require so many middlemen. And you saw there is a process that you can bring in, which make it much more simplified. And what players like Robinhood, players like Trade Republic in Europe, and those players are promoting by making securities accessible for general public, what they did is creating more middlemen in the process. Where on the other side, you have an opportunity to reduce the middleman. And that actually intrigued me much more, you know, how you can reduce the middleman from a process perspective, how you can reduce the middleman from a technical perspective, as well as how you can increase the cost and time efficiency. And that brought me to the conclusion that talking to the market players, talking to some of the investors network, talking to some of the existing capital market networks whom I already knew before, whom I also came across during that point of time, I realized that there is a market opportunity. And this opportunity can be very fascinating because if we see the payments market, we saw the transition from a checkbook. I don't know whether you remember those days, the paper, you have to write a checkbook and deposit and get some money or the demand draft, then we caught this, uh, you know, credit cards, we caught the Apple Pay. We saw huge transition happened in the payment industry. But if you see from the stock market or the capital market side, not that much innovation took place. It may be fundamentally because there are only few market players. So there is, I would say, a structure where, you know, there was a push to keep the existing system intact and generate more revenue out of it, or maybe, you know, to create more dependencies out of it but that actually forced the capital market side not to be innovative at all and there what we found is an opportunity actually we can bring this thing and bring more process optimization and innovation on table for the capital markets with tokenization and so capital what's let's i just want to draw a line around capital markets so when you say capital markets are you thinking u.s stock exchanges like nasdaq and Uh, Yes, I would say the capital markets means like uh, just for everybody is when you buy a stock, let's say an Apple stock, Google stock and other stuffs, these are traded on a stock market. Uh, You can talk about uh, European stock markets. You can talk about US stock markets. You can also talk about other Asian stock markets, right? These are kind of the capital markets where primarily you are trading stocks, you are trading bonds, you are trading, you know, treasury bills, kind of sovereign bonds and those things. So that's where actually the primary focus for us to bring tokenization is. Got it. Okay. So focusing on the capital markets, so focusing on the current public exchanges that exist in different countries and different countries have limitations sometimes on where you can trade and where you can't trade. But generally 
they're fairly open. You know, I can invest in a company in uh, Asia through their market. Um, what's the opportunity that you saw? Is it to represent uh, these token currencies? So representing token, uh, sorry, representing Bitcoin on a marketplace or, or, or with mm-hmm. a stock with a ticker symbol. T- tell me, like, how do you go about uh, innovating the capital markets with with crypto? I think spot BTCs or future BTC ETFs and those kind of things, this I would come a little bit later. But where fundamentally I saw the opportunity and I think the prime example we can go is the last year. Uh, you remember the entire GameStop saga, right? Uh, when oh, yeah. this, uh, you know, the short squeeze was happening and those kind of things. And investors were entering Robinhood trying to buy the GameStop and suddenly Robinhood blocked all the exit opportunities. So you cannot sell, you cannot transfer. You're kind of stuck where market is kind of liquidating itself and at the cost of those retail investors, right? And this is fundamentally the problem. The Fundamentally, when you buy a stock through brokers like Robinhood or those kind of middlemen, you do not get the real shares. Maybe you buy a share of an Apple and you feel that, okay, Apple knows me as a shareholder, but it doesn't work like that way. This share stays in some CSD kind of infrastructure, uh, clearance houses. These clearance houses have multiple brokers. These brokers are holding the stocks and there are other middlemen in the process. And you as an investor, in this case, let's say Robinhood is an example, your claim towards Apple stocks is not towards Apple. Your claim is towards Robinhood. Now, if tomorrow Robinhood goes bankrupt, you are kind of screwed in the process. Is this because in the case of Robinhood, Robin, is Robinhood itself <clears throat> holding stock in Apple? And then I'm owning a percentage of what Robinhood holds? Is that Robinhood, to a certain extent, may hold. I'm not exactly sure whether they're holding directly or maybe they're holding through some other middleman or third parties. It may also happen Robinhood is holding via some other third parties and that third parties is in the clearance houses. That, that means that, th- that third party may be the real registered shareholder in the clearance houses, right? And this makes there are so many middlemen and the concept of in the Bitcoin as we have, not your keys, not your BTCs, does not exist in the stock market, right? You literally do not have stocks in your name. Got and it, that's what it. fundamentally what we can bring with tokenization is when you can bring those digital assets or digital securities in complete tokenized format, what you need to do, you need to, identify a Bitcoin wallet or crypto wallet or whatever wallet you're using, whitelist them. That means, you know, Arnab is holding this wallet. This wallet is KYC. That means this wallet can hold the token. So as soon as this wallet holds a token, the company knows that this is the shareholder. So Apple can simply issue the token in those token holder in, the, in those registered wallets. And that we create a direct relationship between the investors who are holding the shares or securities or the tokens and with the company that is issuing them. This is mm. when we saw the opportunities to create this direct relationship. The same concept with the Bitcoin that you have, not your keys, not your BTCs. The same concept we are trying to bring you in your stocks, not your certificates, not your stocks. It is, is, do you, I, I, I can see multiple benefits to this. One that you outlined pretty clearly is not your certificates, not your stocks, meaning that if the company, if the middleman who owns the stock uh, defaults or sells the stock twice, you know, then then I'm actually out the stock. To me, in my head, I, I think I don't view that as a major threat. I just view it as the the current capital markets are so well regulated and, and oversight is so careful that the SEC wouldn't 
it would be really hard for me to believe that if I bought something at Fidelity or even like a smaller app like Robinhood, that I would be out that money. Um, it's certainly possible, but it doesn't strike me as the main, I, what I thought you were going to say is the main value proposition is the cost of transaction. Um, and I maybe explain this to me a little bit more because Robinhood does make it free. And there are other apps too that make it free to trade stocks. Uh, do you view the the fractional actual ownership being being the value proposition to the consumer being this safety? Is, is safety the main value prop or are there other value props you see? I, I think that's one part, but let's come to the one point that you're mentioning is it's not about uh, only the Robinhood going bankrupt or SEC is not doing the regulation. Though SEC was present that point of time with this uh, uh, GameStop stock blockade, as I, say, I can say that, Robinhood was allowed to completely restrict you from trading GameStop. Got it. That's the big deal. Yeah. yeah. You are a shareholder. You bought the stocks. You wanted to sell it. How can Robinhood decide whether you can sell it or not? Right. So if you lost that opportunity, how many thousands of euros you can lose if you're betting on a particular event? This is where fundamentally we are coming in, right? They are not letting you decide. They're only letting you decide when it's beneficial for their market players. Like they also have a lot of feeder uh, players and those kind of things. And if it's not in their interest, they can simply squeeze you out of the market in any decision-making process. Right, right. Because as I understand it, these uh, apps like Robinhood, they work on this uh, kind of bundled purchasing concept yes. where the, the, there's a free stock transaction that's happening to the consumer. But behind the scenes, there may be, you know, an hour or a couple hours worth of trades that are aggregated together into a yes. bundle. And then that that bundle gets behind the scenes, like manually or semi-manually transacted yeah. into one uh, exchange. One block one D trade. and block transaction. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and but, and the, this is where actually relying. So you're technically you as an uh, as an investor does not decide yourself. You have to always be a part of this bundle. And even it doesn't make sense, right? In those cases, I think for one day or two days, those trading were completely stopped. So investors could not do anything. They cannot leave Robinhood and go to another broker and do trading. They cannot sell that. So say they have to technically digest all the loss that took place. Mm. That's wild. That was terrible. I mean, I, I'm definitely strongly on the side of free markets. You know, I think the the, the uh, either side there's a, there's opposing forces here, right? You have the collective intelligence of very smart people in a hedge fund who are trying to outsmart the market with data and insights and everything, and then you have the average consumer. Well, if those if those two are left to go head to head in competition the average consumer is never going to win unless they have some kind of aggregate intelligence of their own. And this is where Reddit came into play. It said, hey, let's aggregate together. Let's use the power of our collective buying power to force the short on, on these investors. And they, they, they saw, you know, whoever it was in the group that saw the opportunity said, this is it, guys. Let's get together, form a group, form a I don't want to use the word coalition, but like a, a group of people making a trades together. And that if they, you stop that, if you stop that from happening on the free market side, then you're effectively giving uh, artificial leverage to the hedge funds. You know, you're 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 mm -hmm. cutting out the small guys, which I'm very much on your side. And exactly that's what as you mentioned. You know what Reddit did here? They gave this market intelligence to the retail investors, right? To the investors who are not hedge funds, right? But on the other side, they did not get the means. So I have the information. I have the knowledge. 
but as I am stuck into Robinhood, I cannot execute my knowledge. So that creates kind of a misalignment in the market dynamics. On one side, there are hedge funds who have their sophisticated trading bots, who have their market knowledge, as well as the right to trade in the market at any given point of time. You as a retail investor, you have the knowledge, but you don't have the same right to trade at any given point of time. You are at the mercy of some feeder group of collective players and you have to wait. And if they restrict you, you're dumped. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of uh, where we see is an imbalance in the market. And this will change because fundamentally what we need to make it is uh, where, you know, the free market comes in is when both these players have the similar information and both when both the players are at the same means in terms of execution. If you cannot do this thing, there is no free market. There is always one market or one market player has an upper hand over the other. Right. It almost seems like working backwards from an ideal state would be every company who decides to be public, which we can talk about private versus public. But if you're publicly listing your shares on the stock market, you want there to be 24-7, 365, universal access, ideally for free. I, I do think some tiny fractional cost of transaction is not uh, a, ba a bad thing per se, you know, because somehow there has to be fees to maintain the, the, the system. Just like if I send you Bitcoin, there's some mining fee associated with that. And I think that mining fee, you don't want that to go to zero because you're always going to have to pay the price somehow. And there is no incentivization. You have to put some right. fees to incentivize the good actors in the ecosystem, right? That's the entire purpose right. of proof of work structures, right? It's an incentivization game. So as you mentioned, I think rightly, Mike, uh, you clearly mentioned here, one very core I would say value proposition of entire tokenization is the fact that uh, you have a 24-7 market. You have companies like Apple, Facebook, and those kind of players who are operating 24-7, but you have a stock market that operates 9 to 5 on only business days. And there are holidays and others, but the companies are operating. So somewhere the market does not reflect the real value. And this is, I think, one thing where digitization or tokenization in simple sense can bring like simple, like, you know, you are based in Taiwan, you have a Apple stocks, you are your bond of a country. In this case, El Salvador recently announced this famous volcano bond for the country. And you want to trade at any given point of time, you can do it based on the fact when you're kind of awake. You don't have to wait for the market to open. And this independence, I think what people are looking for, because the market is global. It's not restricted to New York, London, Hong Kong. It's global. Any part of the world you're sitting, you have internet. That means you get the accessibility to the market. Right, right, right. I'm totally with you. I mean, there, it even it, if you don't allow, if you block off bank holidays and weekends, effectively you're 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 creating a reservoir of uh, of of information that's being built up. Everything that happened over the last two days is going to somehow be immediately impacted by the price. The price is going to shoot up or shoot down based on whatever happened over the weekend. And that I think that doesn't happen nearly to the same degree as it would. The other thing is, even if the government doesn't close. Uh, the markets or private companies that maintain the markets don't close the markets. Just knowing that they can is going to be factored into the price. People are going to be more hesitant to make trades knowing that, hey, this this might get shut down at any moment. Whereas, if, if like you said, if it's totally free and we know it's decentralized so that it can't be shut down, I think it provides us greater liquidity and better price transparency. And and I think it's worth mentioning that the the purpose of this from the highest possible level <clears throat> is that people 
who are getting in groups and calling themselves a company, the ones who are the most productive are the ones who should be allocated the most money to build. So if you think about it as like, a, I, I, th I love thinking about it in this way, the, the market itself is an organism. It's one collective intelligence. And the goal of the market is to allocate resources or attention, stored value in the form of currency to the people, the group of people who are doing the things that the most people value the most. And so, you know, we give money to Apple because Apple's building, they're building a device that I find value in and you find value in and billions of other people do every day. And so the, the reason we want all this, you know, optimization is because the more, the more money, even if it's a tiny amount, the more money to the more, most productive people means the most good for everybody. The most people that are getting the cheapest goods, the fastest. And I just think that's worth mentioning because it, it is the the whole reason, you know, that you you do this, right? It's like the the reason to make a super hyper liquid market is is so people can get better things faster and cheaper. Um, but tell me more on the technical side of this. So you how do you actually issue the tokenization of these stocks? So on Stalker, how we operate is uh, you know it's it's kind of a marketplace. So we are the primary issuance uh, marketplace. We help in the primary issuance. And then we interact and integrates with different secondary market where the investor can go and trade. And these security tokens are usually issued on different DLT networks. And uh, we started with Ethereum back in 2017. Right now, it's kind of unusable. So we stopped supporting Ethereum at the moment because gas fees are ridiculous. If you're buying a stock for, let's say, $100, you will pay around 40 to 60 based on the smart contract complexity, right? Uh, we integrated re uh, last year liquid network that is uh, Bitcoin sidechain because we believe fundamentally Bitcoin can be a platform where you can also create DeFi as well as you can also create a capital market infrastructure. It's not only meant for the payment industry, right? And liquid allows that to create uh, on in the Bitcoin sidechain. It relies heavily on the Bitcoin code base, right? Um and we are kind of in a very uh, historic day-to-day -day where uh, kind of gen the Genesis block was formed, right? So it's kind of a very historic day to discuss about that, right? Anyways. Uh, so wait, block, can I pause you for a second? So the Genesis of the liquid block, can you explain No, it's the, so bit, it's, you can call it, it's a hap, like the birthday for Bitcoin network, right? Today on 3rd of January, uh, we had the first block of Bitcoin that was mined. And this is kind of, you can call it the birthday of the entire Bitcoin network. Ah, I didn't realize that. That's awesome. It's kind of historic. So it's it, it always, you know, kind of a emotional value when we're talking about this kind of things uh, uh, in today's context. Uh, coming back to the third network that we are currently supporting is Algorand. It's a proof of stake network that is developed and that is kind of... Uh, has a value proposition, which is you have a low transaction fees, high scalability throughputs and those aspects. What interesting thing I also need to highlight is regarding the liquid is it's confidential by nature. Definitely it has the benefit of low transaction fees, but any transactions happening on liquid is private and confidential. So let's say A transacts with B certain amount of stocks uh, in exchange for certain amount of Bitcoin or in exchange of certain amount of Tether, you as a bystander will not be able to see uh, what transacted with whom and who transacted with whom. 
You just see that some values moved, but you do not know what exactly the value was and you do not know who transacted. And this is kind of very important for a stock market because let's say if tomorrow Fidelity is transacting with BlackRock certain amount or you know London Stock Exchange is transacting with Hong Kong Stock Exchange or something, you don't want the market to know what is moving, though they are using a public DLT infrastructure. And that there I see is, is kind of a very interesting use case for a Bitcoin layer two. Yeah. So when you say you're using these layer twos, uh, these these uh, protocols, w- what's the use case from the consumer? So if I'm uh, logging onto your website, you know, walk, walk me through a little bit of the, the basic customer experience. So Stalker is a marketplace. On one side, we have the investors. The other side, we have the companies or the issuers, right? It's a platform for alternative asset classes. When I say alternative asset classes on Stalker, you can find stocks of companies. You can buy bond, Bitcoin mining bond we have right now at the moment. You can buy assets like music funds, royalty right, and those kind of things. But you can also have a stablecoin yield fund or any other high growth yield funds. So it's kind of a marketplace like an Amazon marketplace for alternative assets. So as an investor, first you have to come on the platform, you have to go through the normal KYC AML process, and then you have to connect your blockchain wallet. And this blockchain wallet will depend on which the asset has been issued. So if it's issued on a liquid network, you need green wallet that supports a liquid asset. If you if the asset is issued on Algorand, you need an a wallet like my algo wallet or something like that which supports the algorand wallet once you connect that wallet you are good to go that means if you have invested in one project on stalker you are good to invest in other projects without doing an additional kyc that reduces the kyc process for every project right once you have done the kyc you are done like you have done the wallet integrations you can choose the project right now which is currently live or which is upcoming and you can choose to invest with BTC, with Euro, with Tether. So these are kind of currencies that we support. You sign the investment agreement, you pay the money, after that you receive the tokens or the securities and in digital. You're you're paying the money by submitting a, a Bitcoin transaction. So you're sending it to the wallet and you then can, yes. You can pay by transact like sending a Bitcoin transaction, you can pay by sending a Tether transaction or by simple fiat Euro gateway. So we have every process that you want and we have different kind of user bases. So we try to support in different payment methods at the moment. Once all the payment processes are done, you get the securities in your wallet, which has been, as I mentioned to you right uh, a few minutes back, whitelisted, right? Once you connect on the Stalker platform, you get the tokens to the wallet. Now it's a very interesting thing here. When the securities goes to your wallet, you hold the private key of the wallet, not Stalker. So if tomorrow you want to transfer that asset to another wallet, you can simply do it. You don't require our permission. Hmm. So does this mean to say that, say, say you had uh, some, say $1,000 in Apple stock and you wanted to send it to me. Can you just do that? Can you just send me $1,000 worth of Apple stock? So what you have to do is, in this case, the most important thing is the KYC and AML, as well as the whitelisting, right? You need a stocker account. You have to do a stocker KYC. And then what we'll do is we whitelist your wallet, blockchain wallet. Once your blockchain wallet is whitelisted, anybody can trade. And let's say tomorrow this uh, exchange like Bitfinex Securities, they allows this trade tokens or securities to be traded. You can simply go to the exchange, deposit the token and start trading. You don't like the exchange, you withdraw the token from the exchange, go to another exchange and trade, or you can hold on your wallet and just sit and enjoy your return if there is any dividend or something. So that gives a lot of flexibility for you. 
Got it. Got it. Is is there a rule or a law, better yet, that says if I am an owner of a, a stock, that if I'm going to trade that stock to another person, that there has to be uh, some... How, how does the company know? Uh, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, uh, how do I come yeah. forth and say, we're making this trade? So what happens is uh, when you create a stock or account, we identify, okay, this is Mike, Mike Townsend a resident of this place, and this is his KYC address, this is his passport details. Now, Mike connects X, let's say, green wallet or Bitcoin wallet on Stalker. Now, this wallet is identified with your own individual credentials. So what we did is we whitelist, we give a tick box to your wallet, and from our backend, the issuer or the company that has issued the stock sees, okay, this wallet address belongs to Mike. Now, let's say Mike sends the wallet to Tom. Tom has to come on Stalker and create another account and has to do whitelist. Now, both Mike and Tom can use an atomic swap structure or decentralized exchange, uh, or you can just both P2P agree on certain price and you transfer the token to Tom and Tom transfers the Tether or the BTC to you. The company doesn't need to allow or reject it, right? The company sees, okay, Mike's token now reduced, Tom's token now increased because Mike transferred to Tom. So Tom is the new owner of the asset. And this automatically gets updated because we collect the data from the DLT itself and relay it to the issuer from their dashboard. Wait, can I pause you there? When you say you collect the data from the DLT, is that Stoker? It, what, can you break that down for me a little bit? Like what, yeah. what's the DLT and what is Stoker doing? Okay, so Stoker actually, so the your wallet information is on the blockchain, the blockchain or DLT, if you can refer that way. Wait, so, what's, what is DLT stand for? Sorry, I should probably know that. Distributed Ledger network got it okay yeah it, it, it's a way of calling not uh, not every dlt or every distributed ledger network is a blockchain right there are some iota which doesn't call themselves blockchain they call it something different tangle so there's a reason i think technically it's, it's easier to call them dlt okay. but let's say for general use case we call it as a blockchain right um in that case what happens is once your wallet has been verified and it has been whitelisted by stalker we know this is the Mike's wallet. We know this is the Tom's wallet. We hold the KYC data. What we do is we connect your wallet information with your KYC data and show it to the company. Mm, okay, so the, that's that how the way, company, right. And so that's how the company always knows uh, the, yes. the actual human beings that own what percentage yes. of stock. So you do not know from the blockchain itself, this wallet belongs to Mike. But as Stalker did your KYC on you, Stalker knows that what is your blockchain address. We simply inform them via dashboard saying that, okay, this is the wallet. The wallet belongs to Mike. Mike transited with Tom. Tom's wallet is this. Both are the resident for this. So for any tax reasons or any regulatory reasons, the company has a full database of all the investors. Got it. And that completely changes the entire process of KYC compliance that happens currently in the market. Right, right, right. And so the the fact that the the token representing the stock cannot be traded outside of the Stoker network, is this what makes it, uh, from a legal perspective, is this what uh, classifies it as a asset and not a um, security? Or sorry, am I saying that wrong? These are all security and not, They're a security yeah, and so- an asset. So the fundamental difference is, and the fundamental reason why we had to do this is, uh, you cannot hold a bearer stock. And stock are just for the information, we are currently not supporting U.S. market. We are supporting mostly European market and certain non-U.S. countries. Oh, no U.S. market. 
no U.S. market at the oh, moment, man. unfortunately. Yes. What's the reason? Is there some some law that we're screwed? It's SEC. Is- it's regulatory wise also on the other side and the other side yes definitely the we are trying to partner with number of players in that market at this moment but to be honest uh, with our current team strength with our current regulatory approvals that we have we see the european market is itself bigger for us to facilitate uh, this market itself so we are trying to focus and narrow down create a competence and then at one point of time when the market you know is much more clearer much more understandable we want to venture there is that is it, the reason at the moment. So is do you feel like the US uh regulatory rules are just not clear enough? Is that is that the risk you view it as a regulatory risk? It's very complex for any new players innovate uh, to innovate in the financial markets. Ah, so disappointing. You know, it's like this should be the US should be all over that. It should be inviting founders and entrepreneurs to to build in in the US or at least serve the US market. It's... But but the, the fundamental reason, that's actually the reason you see a lot of existing global exchanges are not supporting right now the U.S. market. Some started doing it recently because you have this New York Bitcoin, uh, like uh, bit license and those kind of things. It's very fragmented and very unclear. There are few security token issuers, but right now the regulatory cost is so much high that it's better for them to just do a normal traditional stock issuances. So you cannot reduce the cost, but it increases the cost. And as you mentioned to you, made like a few minutes back is one key aspect should be the cost reduction, which in US is very hard to do at the moment. That's actually one of the reasons also we cannot at the moment open the US market because well, we can we have to make it cost effective. And why why is there some rule? Is there some some you know line in, in the regulation somewhere where you, if you could wave a magic wand and have it change that this this would be the thing like is there why is it that way what, what, is there yes you cannot right now eliminate the need of the clearance houses as i mentioned right oh you they specify that in houses. law yes it, it it's a legal mandate and the problem with uh, having these clearance houses are dlt itself or the blockchain itself is a clearance house if the because what blockchain does blockchain cre- keeps a record Right. Right. It keeps the record of this blockchain address transacts with this. Now, what Stoker does is we connect the personal information of this blockchain address that belongs to Mike and this blockchain address belongs to Tom. We put the identification to that wallet. Now, the entire record keeping is done on the blockchain. So when the A wallet transacts with B wallet, one gets credited, the other gets debited. Immediately, this information is stored on the blockchain, which is immutable. Now, if you have that record keeping uh, process in the space, why we need another middleman to do that job? That's where the fundamental question comes in. And a lot of other jurisdictions outside Europe or sorry, outside US accepts that and allows you to do that. And does the US specifically say that they don't accept the blockchain as a clearinghouse? There is no way right now you can make a blockchain as clearance house, right? Because these laws were written... Um, the time when this kind of structures were not there, right? So it was quite rigid and right now you require. So maybe there are some amendments coming because at the end of the day, I personally believe that SEC gets more information using blockchain as a clearance house because this is everything is transparent, right? Right, right? Rather than relying on some middleman entities where you have to do send an inspection and those kind of things. So for regulators, blockchain is a fascinating tool for really ensuring that market is investor friendly and there is a full transparency there. So it's yeah. kind of benefiting them on a certain end. But yeah, it, it's a long-term goal. I think there are a lot of players trying to, you know, 
use the existing regulation, trying to create something, also trying to lobby to a certain level. But I think it will take some time in US at least. Yeah. Do you guys send any letters or try to convince regulators that they need to uh, loosen their, their definition of what? We are working with some partners. Some partners are definitely, I, I know some of the very interesting partners are working in that market. They are trying to really uh, create some infrastructure, but it's hard. So we are trying to support from our side as much as possible. And also the learnings that we got from the European and other markets we are trying to share because I, I think the, one of the biggest problems of the capital market is it's very fragmented. It's very broken. It, there is no uniform law of capital markets, right? So it, it's very challenging affairs. It will take some time, but I think uh, we have to do our efforts and uh, all the market intelligence need to work together. And we have to show them some benefits, right? If we can show some benefits that we can reduce the cost, increase transparency, increase investor protection, I think uh, the market will listen and I'm hopeful that the parliament or, you know, Senate and others. It just, it has to be. I mean, it's, it's just a matter of time, you know, whether if Europe goes ahead and says, Hey, you can build here and you can use the blockchain as a clearinghouse and that happens. Well, Europe is just going to gain leverage. You know, there's going to be companies who expand throughout the Europe market. They're going to customize the European culture and their rules. And, and then the U S just sits there and people Twitter their thumbs because they can't use these new tools or there's new applications and benefit from them. So I, yeah, I just encourage, you know, in, in your situation, being a lawyer and a founder of a you know, well-funded company, it's like, we got to, we got to pressure these, these regulators, you know, they have to feel like there is pent up opportunity for consumers, for citizens. And, uh, yeah, you know, living in the U S I'm certainly biased, but I want the U S to be a place where people can trade freely and benefit from their inventions. So Yeah. One interesting thing, which I also kind of observing right now is uh, countries like El Salvador's, uh, even if you see Kazakhstan and those markets, Singapore also, they're becoming very agile, right? What recently happened in El Salvador, you saw a government adopting security token, which is kind of, you know, quite progressive. And if I, I totally believe if El Salvador experiment is successful, countries like Colombia and other Latin American countries and many other developing countries will adopt that model. And also, if you see the countries like El Salvador and others, they already mentioned they would like to have digital securities exchanges in those countries. So there will be much more, I would say, agile because they're already looking for something like this in their market, right? They have their own interest. So I'm much more expecting this innovation to come from smaller jurisdictions and then later on being adopted by bigger jurisdictions. Got it. Got it. Got it. I'm with you there. Super fascinating. It's like, what a dynamic place. I mean, it just feels like timing is a huge part of this. Um, what do you think about the the Elf Salvador move? T tell me more about what they did specifically and then how how that could be a template for other countries going forward. Yes, I think one interesting thing which we saw recently, like I would say a few months back, is uh, El Salvador, which is uh, one interesting country uh, in the Latin American market announced that they want to launch a Volcano bond or Bitcoin bond. Uh, and the bond specifics are, it will be, I think, if I'm not wrong, it's a $1 billion bond they're issuing. And this $1 billion bond, $500 million, will be used to buy Bitcoin upfront. And $500 million will be used to develop infrastructure, Bitcoin cities, and other mining systems over there. Uh, which is kind of uh, betting on the Bitcoin price, because if the Bitcoin price hits to a decent level of the projection, investors should get their return within a very short period of time. 
right? And the remaining risk is actually in the Bitcoin mining and the projects and the volcano uh, like uh, mining facilities or the Bitcoin city projects. So if you see this way, it's an it's a way how a country is without going to the World Bank or the financial institutions like they're creating a bond going to the Bitcoin community or the crypto community or a wider investor community asking for private capital to invest in and then hedging a risk towards Bitcoin. That way it's not taking the full risk on their shoulder. They're also relying on certain of the Bitcoin price movement and creating a new sovereign bond in this high inflation market, which is fascinating because if if you would have told me, you know, 10 years back, something like this happening, I would have said, you know, you're crazy, right? Which is in 2022 sitting, countries like presidents announced, which is on a real-time basis and they're marketing, they're creating infrastructure, inviting communities, uh, which is surprising. But on the other side, it's uh, it's a positive news for the entire ecosystem that, you know, the countries are adopting. I, I totally agree. I mean, it just, it takes those small countries who are on the, you know, edge of financial security to make these decisions. So in El Salvador, they are I would say leading the world on crypto adoption from a government perspective. Do you see other countries uh, looking at El Salvador and saying they're successful? Let's let's replicate that in our in our country in our jurisdiction. Or is it still completely on the fringe and uh, uncertain as to whether uh, governments benefit from adopting crypto? I think uh, Switzerland did some amazing job, right? If you remember, the Switzerland was one country uh, which initially gave the regulatory approval to Ethereum token sale, right? That kicked off the entire ICO wild bull that we saw back in 2016-17, right? Um, so that country definitely, definitely did a lot. They recently also allowed companies to issue their stocks on a DLT or on a blockchain, right? This is also fundamentally, I don't see any other country at that moment allowed that. So that's, I, I would say it's quite interesting and fascinating to watch. And Switzerland is also kind of a jurisdiction, which a lot of people know. So there's already a kind of capital markets operating there. So you can rely on that infrastructure. Um, at the moment, also what comes is Kazakhstan. Uh, Kazakhstan did a very interesting thing recently. Bitfinex got their license from the local regulator AIFC to launch a digital securities exchange, which is also kind of uh, quite interesting because a Central Asian country coming to this stock market and capital markets and allowing this uh, technology to be used to issue those stocks and bonds is kind of mind-blowing. Luxembourg is also kind of one interesting jurisdiction which we stocker use, uh, or I would say, uh, leverage quite a lot at the moment because every issuance of stocker is issued from a Luxembourg-based entity. And this is the reason is Luxembourg corporate law allows companies or the issuers to manage their own investor register. Now, what it means that uh, it allows you to manage your investor register and you can choose to do it locally via an Excel sheet or maybe with a notar or notary or maybe you can also use a blockchain. And that creates a wide opportunity for many Luxembourgish issuers to issue their shares or bond, not shares, but I would say the bonds or capital market securities on a blockchain. Can you explain that to me? I'm, I'm, I'm curious both on the Luxembourg and then Kazakhstan, but on the Luxembourg, you're saying that they're, what are they doing exactly? They're allowing you to issue? Luxembourg, you can, 
so in the Luxembourg regulators, it's not about the regulator, but the Luxembourg law, the, the corporate law, allows an issuer to manage their own investor register. Now, let's say you have a running a company or an issuance company and you wanted to issue securities and you can manage your own investor register. You can manage it on a Dropbox-based Excel file. You can manage it on a normal paper-based diary or you can manage it on a blockchain. Interesting. And this creates a huge opportunity. Huh. And they're very clear about that. They just allow, and th- this is referring to you as the company that manages the shares, not the, obviously. Yeah, so yeah. It, it, it's not about the managing the shares. You can issue a fund units, like you can actually launch a VC fund over there where the fund units can be tokenized fully. Mm. You can launch a securitization vehicle where you can you know, tokenize any assets like revenue of a music royalty stream or a revenue of a Bitcoin mining farm and tokenize it and give it to the investors. You can convert uh, preferential shares or a debt instrument of a gaming company and issue it to the gaming investors or the gamers. So it, it opens a huge opportunity for you as an issuer. Wow. And now how does Luxembourg, I imagine strategically they're thinking we want to be ahead of the herd. You know, we want to adopt innovation as it comes. And so they, they create this law that allows for these innovative um ways of doing business is does Luxembourg have a tax? I mean, do you have to physically be there? Uh, what is their, how are they been, how is Luxembourg itself as a country benefiting from allowing people to do these maneuvers? So for tokenization, Luxembourg did not create, uh, okay, they did a law, but that law is not so relevant at the moment. What I mentioned just now is the existing legal infrastructure because Luxembourg follows a very civil, like it has a civil law structure and it has a common law structure. It's kind of a mixed somehow on certain levels. And that brought a lot of flexibility because in UK, you know, uh, because the common law structure, it's a judge-based law, which is much more flexible than a lot of continental European countries like France and Germany and others. Um, And what interesting is Luxembourg, for example, Luxembourg has one of the biggest global fund market operating there. You can take any European green bond you know, uh, or any kind of ESG bonds, they're all issued from Luxembourg. I think in the fund size, the amount of funds Luxembourg, I think, manages at the moment is second to US. Hmm. Wow. It's a small country, but it has a very good reputation in terms of the investment world, in terms of managing the funds. A lot of VC funds are there, a lot of private equity funds are there, a lot of ESG funds, you know, kind of all these uh, green bonds funds are based in Luxembourg. And that's a very interesting uh, reason is one is the corporate law. Regulators is much more, I would say, progressive, quite open. You can talk to them, ask them questions that they they understand the capital markets. They are not a regulator in new in the market, but they're also open to listen to you. And it's also kind of an open jurisdiction for understanding, accepting innovative uh, you know, like innovation in tech space, right? Amazon has right now its headquartered in Europe in Luxembourg. Hmm. It's very interesting, you know, this kind of PayPal has uh, the headquarter in Europe in Luxembourg because that's kind of the jurisdiction they have chosen. And that actually brought a lot of, you know, confidence into that market. So So Luxembourg, I would say, still now did not make a lot of revenue out of it. But the same thing is if Luxembourg has kind of... uh, is kind of forerunner in the capital markets, the current capital markets. Why can't it be a forerunner in the future of capital markets? Yeah, yeah, and I imagine there's some fees, there's some registration fees, or uh, you know, some. There are certain fees, 
Luxembourg is not a you know it's not the fees low. This is not a country where you it's it's cheap. But what is much more interesting is you can get very high quality service providers who understands who can rightly guide you and who can rightly service you. This is very important because if you're doing something in the security side, you need to be aware about all the regulatory taxes, everything. You cannot avoid them, and this is also not we are trying to help here. What we are trying to do is do it in the best possible way, but do it in automatized way so you can reduce your costs. Right, right, right. And one of my, I, I started a, a crypto trading company uh, a few years ago. We ended up selling it. But one of the major decisions that we talked a lot about was whether we, both of us live in the United States, both founders did, but we were talking about should we incorporate in the Cayman Islands or Malta or Luxembourg and try to operate uh, from those locations, not physically, because we, we weren't going to move there, but could we operate the business there? And, and we kept running into the fact that it was very difficult to operate from those companies without a physical presence. Do you see either a stoker or other companies needing to have uh, physical offices there? Or what's the qualifications to run, say, a business out of Luxembourg? We have service providers who can actually, so we have partnered service providers who can actually help you to domicile those companies and domicile those operations. This is definitely, it's a market which allows you. And it depends also whether you're planning to do active business there or you're creating an investment funds. Because let's say you want to create an investment fund, you can actually use some existing service providers and we can help in introductions of the, those service providers. Uh, so that's definitely, I think, one way you can think of. But if you want to work, and I think this is very important, is there in Europe, you have a lot of cross borders. So you will find a lot of people in that market who can also help you in substantial matters, as well as providing you some kind of substance of the company over there. So it's not just a post box, but you can also hire right person for your team. And you also get a huge banking market, which is operating in Luxembourg, right? Uh, if you're using a crypto accounts, if you're using the exchanges, I think, interestingly, two of the biggest cryptocurrency exchange in Europe has been regulated in Luxembourg. One is Bitstamp and one is Bitflyer, mm. right? Um, the other one, I think, in the Coinbase recently got something in Germany, the VASP license. But before that, they didn't have anything. So they only had in UK. So if you see comparatively in, uh, out of other European countries, Luxembourg is always quite progressive on that regard. Mm. And we are already in that market from 2017. Uh, definitely, it's not an easy market where you go and you get immediately welcomed and you can create everything on the day one. The regulator is definitely skeptical. The mm. marketplace is also skeptical, but that's very obvious that if they are running a market which has its own reputation, they are always trying to protect that reputation. So you have to really show that you are trying to create something which is definitely innovative, which is right, kind of good, which has a good market ethics also. On the other side, it will also help the ecosystem. Then they're definitely welcoming. And this we have also felt over there. What, what, were, the, what were the things in hindsight? Would you have given yourself any advice, like write more thorough white papers or were there there were there a couple key documents that really convinced them that okay these guys are serious so we did quite some regulatory discussion at that point of time we talked to a number of uh, service providers players because if you're operating in a country and you're creating the securities market you need a lot of service provider from accounts team to you know tax compliance team to you know uh, people who understands this filing, regulatory filings and others. So we spoke to a lot of people. And I think what boils down is 
how we create the product, right? Uh, fortunately, I have my partner, Tobias Seidel, who is uh, into the Luxembourg market for the last 15 years. He was a lawyer in the fund structuring for over 12 years, worked with some of the biggest Luxembourg law firms. So we have a very strong legal understanding of Luxembourg law in-house that helped quite a lot. And he's also kind of, he's a lawyer, but he's also kind of a person who also likes the product, right? Who is, uh, you know, the person who will run after you if you, UX is bad, you know? This kind of people is very hard to get, right? How can I get a, you get a lawyer who also is much more pix, like pixel perfect person? But fortunately, he's that person. And he was also the person who was talking to the regulators, creating documentations, calling them, explaining them time to time, going number of demos and those things. And this really helped because you need a person who can talk in legal terms with the regulators and service providers, but also can explain the product in the right technical sense so it's not misrepresented properly. And this, I think we were quite lucky to have such team. And also we got uh, some good hires in that market who also helped us to make this process quite seamless. And that really helped us to go forward in that market quite effectively. I dig it, man. I love what you guys are building. So catch me up. Where are you guys now on money raise, team size, uh, any kind of, you can mention however you think of traction, I guess is revenue or stocks. What, how do you measure? Yeah, however you measure traction. Yeah, curious where you are. So traction, like... We have a very interesting product right now on the platform. So last year, we did some very interesting offering. One we did is a Bitcoin mining bond. It's a mining bond issued in collaboration with Blockstream. So Blockstream is a company that issued that mining bond. It's uh, one of the biggest Bitcoin development company. And the mining bond has still yet issued 33 million worth of the mining bond in the market. And fascinatingly, whenever the offering goes live, we are issuing it in a number of tranches, 5 million tranche, 3 million tranche, 4 million tranche it usually gets sold in less than a day. Sometimes even in half an hour or 20 minutes, right? There, there was one tranche which we did. We launched it. Within 10 minutes, the offering of 5 million got over. Wow. How are you marketing this or how are people finding out about this? Uh, Adam Back, Samsung Mo, the Blockstream uh, main people, they are quite a lot promoting in the market. They are talking in different podcasts. A lot of Bitcoiners know about that. And what is interesting, like you you don't have similar instrument in the market, right? You have on one side Grayscale Bitcoin Trust product, which kind of is a hodl fund where the fund actually buys the BTCs and they hold, but you don't have a fund which allows you to participate in a Bitcoin mining mm. instrument. So this is, I think, uh, like, and the returns are phenomenal right now, right? The return a few months back was 30 basis point per day. It's 0.3% per day, which is fascinating in this market, right? Uh, so when you have this kind of returns, uh, people are interested, people are anyways coming in. It, it's it's growing very organically at the moment, right? Um, interestingly, Bitfinex also announced that they will allow this the asset to be traded on the platform that will also open up a huge opportunity for that kind of audience who are already into the crypto. So that's one instrument. We did an STO, a security token offering, or we facilitated one of that uh, of Infinite Fleet. It's a MMO, space-based MMO game uh, founded by Samson Mo. Uh, he's a veteran from the gaming space. He also hired a lot of other veterans uh, and they're very much dedicated coming from the you know Age of Empires and those kind of mm -hmm. League of Legends kind of AAA games. And these guys are creating a space-based MMO. It's not a metaverse. It's not an NFT project. It's, it's a pure game which you can play, enjoy and have fun. And they have raised, I think right now around 5 million USD around 
from a wide range of investors uh, who are the users actually and who are the gamers. So that's the fascinating project we have. We also launched end of the year uh, fund that is a stablecoin yield fund. The aim of the fund is actually to provide you a return of roughly 6% and the fund will actually lend out USD, USD Tether to selected companies into the crypto space, the blue chips of the crypto space, I would say. So we selectively find companies, we lend them out at a specific uh, term period and trying to create a return of around 6% for the investors. Uh, so as the investors, if they're coming from, you know, traditional space, they don't understand DeFi, they don't understand, you know, the crypto lending market, they can rely on our fund. They just simply subscribe the fund units and the fund then invests into selected blue chips of the crypto space. That way it reduces. Oh, the risk. so this is like, this is separate from, so there's uh, there's companies that are listing on Stoker and then there's a, a Stoker fund, which is a separate thing that people can invest in. Yes. And effectively it's like... Uh, you know, your, your fund managers. And so they're, you're allocating yes. their, their money. How many companies yeah. now are listed on Stoker? So right now we have around seven projects at the moment mm-hmm. on the platform. There are some more in the pipeline that are coming and we are getting quite some interest, but the platform is we do not take every project that comes to us. We are very selective. We are also bringing, trying to innovate in the asset class. We are trying to bring music uh, royalties at the moment on the platform, trying to you know, some of the music you have heard about and you definitely have played a number of times. We are trying to buy those assets, tokenize it and make it available for the investors. And uh, just to inform you here, the music is a non-correlated assets, right? Even if the market inflation hits, you will listen to certain music in Spotify. You will play that on YouTube, right? So that market is kind of non-correlated with the current market mm-hmm. crisis situation. I like that. So we are trying to bring those asset classes and enable for the investors to create a portfolio. And on the other side, what we are actually doing also, and this is very interesting for Stoker, is we enable tokenization. So if a company comes or issuer comes, we just do not give them uh, technology, right? We are just not a white level platform. We provide them the full service. We provide the regulatory service, the compliance service, payment gateways, both in euro and crypto, as well as technology. And we also help them to structure an instrument. This allows the invest or the issuers to you know to get the full support from our side, and the only thing they have to focus is communicate with the investors, create a community, and make their uh, proposition to them properly. Two thousand twenty-two is going to be a, to be honest, <laughs> a very fascinating year. We are quite excited. We are currently preparing our Series A funding round. We got tremendous interest last year, and we think right now we have found our market fit in this sense. Uh, we are around fifteen people at the moment. We are growing uh, quite a lot and we have to also like, uh, we have a lot of, you know, kind of deliver- like deliverables in the market, which we have to do it and we need to increase our team strength, also kind of our, our resilience, right? Because crypto market uh, is always uh, skeptical about hacking and all this mm-hmm. other bad stuff. So let's put it like that way. And you have to create an infrastructure and a platform that is resilient, and this is actually our focus also for 2022. I love it, man. I love it. <clears throat> Keep cranking. Today is January 3rd. As you said, it's the Bitcoin birthday. So it's awesome yes. that we get a chance to connect today. I love what you're doing. Congrats on all the progress and uh, wish you guys the best of luck, man. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you, Mike. And thanks uh, for having me here. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts tweet about it or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.